Hello and welcome, friends, family, and of course, enemies alike, to episode 142 of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. During this even-numbered episode, we continue through the second half of Chapter 6 of The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, where we have just learned a little bit more of the backstory behind Gatsby's previous life and how he has successfully evaded taxes for so many years. Now, we enter the scene in present day where Gatsby is throwing yet another party in which Daisy is in attendance along with her husband, Tom, who is investigating Daisy's sudden interest in the parties of a man from West Egg. He only knows as Jay Gatsby. We as well have been invited into this scene through the eyes of Nick Carraway. So let us continue through Chapter 6, Part 2 of The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Tom was evidently perturbed at Daisy's running around alone, for on the following Saturday night he came with her to Gatsby's party. Perhaps his presence gave the evening its peculiar quality of oppressiveness. It stands out in my memory from Gatsby's other parties that summer. There were the same people, or at least the same sort of people, the same profusion of champagne, the same many-colored, many-keyed commotion, but I felt an unpleasantness in the air, a pervading harshness that hadn't been there before. Or perhaps I had merely grown used to it, grown to accept West Egg as a world complete in itself, with its own standards and its own great figures, second to nothing, because it had no consciousness of being so. And now I was looking at it again, through Daisy's eyes, it is invariably saddening to look through new eyes at things upon which you have expended your own powers of adjustment. They arrived at twilight, and as we strolled out among the sparkling hundreds, Daisy's voice was playing murmurous tricks in her throat. These things excite me so, she whispered. If you want to kiss me at any time during the evening, Nick, just let me know, and I'll be glad to arrange it for you. Just mention my name, or present a green card. I'm giving out green... Look around, suggested Gadsby. I'm looking around. I'm having a marvelous... You must see the faces of many people you've heard about. Tom's arrogant eyes roamed the crowd. We don't go around very much, he said. In fact, I was just thinking, I don't know a soul here. Perhaps you know that lady. Gadsby indicated a gorgeous, scarcely human orchid of a woman who sat in state under a white plum tree. Tom and Daisy stared with that peculiarly unreal feeling that accompanies the recognition of a hitherto ghostly celebrity of the movies. She's lovely, said Daisy. The man bending over her is her director. He took them ceremoniously from group to group. Mrs. Buchanan and Mr. Buchanan. After an instant's hesitation, he added, The polo player 
Oh no, <laughs> objected Tom quickly. Not me. But evidently the sound of it pleased Gatsby, for Tom remained the polo player for the rest of the evening. I've never met so many celebrities, Daisy exclaimed. I liked that man. What was his name? With the sort of blue nose. Gadsby identified him, adding that he was a small producer. Well, I liked him anyhow. I'd rather not be the polo player, said Tom pleasantly. I'd rather look at all these famous people in... In oblivion. Daisy and Gadsby danced. I remember being surprised by his graceful, conservative foxtrot. I had never seen him dance before. Then they sauntered over to my house and sat on the steps for half an hour, while at her request, I remained watchfully in the garden. In case there's a fire or a flood, she explained, or any act of God. Tom appeared from his oblivion as we were sitting down to supper together. Do you mind if I eat with some people over here? He said. A fellow's getting off some funny stuff. Go ahead, answered Daisy genially. If you want to take down any addresses, here's my little gold pencil. She looked around after a moment and told me the girl was common but pretty and I knew that except for the half hour she'd been alone with Gadsby, she wasn't having a good time. We were at a particularly tipsy table. That was my fault. Gadsby had been called to the phone, and I'd enjoyed these same people only two weeks before. But what had amused me then turned septic on the air now. How do you feel, Miss Bedecker? The girl addressed was trying unsuccessfully to slump against my shoulder. At this inquiry, she sat up and opened her eyes. What? A massive and lethargic woman, who had been urging Daisy to play golf with her at the local club tomorrow, spoke in Miss Bedecker's defense. Oh, she's all right now. When she's had five or six cocktails, she's always starts screaming like that. I tell her she ought to leave it alone. I do leave it alone, affirmed the accused hollowly. We heard you yelling, so I said to Doc Civet here, There's somebody that needs your help, Doc. She's much obliged, I'm sure, said another friend, without gratitude. But you got her dress all wet when you stuck her head in the pool. Anything I hate is to get my head stuck in the pool mumbled Miss Bedecker. They almost drowned me once over in New Jersey. Then you ought to leave it alone, countered Dr. Civet. Speak for yourself, cried Miss Bedecker violently. Your handshakes. I wouldn't let you operate on me. It was like that. Almost the last thing I remember was standing with Daisy and watching the moving picture director and his star. They were still under the white plum tree, and their faces were touching, except for a pale, thin ray of moonlight between. It occurred to me that he had been very slowly bending toward her all evening to attain this proximity, and even while I watched, I saw him stoop one ultimate degree and kiss 
at her cheek. I like her, said Daisy. I think she's lovely. But the rest offended her, and inarguably, because it wasn't a gesture, but an emotion. She was appalled by West Egg, this unprecedented place that Broadway had begotten upon a Long Island fishing village. Appalled by its raw vigor that chafed under the old euphemisms, and by the too obtrusive fate that herded its inhabitants along a shortcut from nothing to nothing. She saw something awful in the very simplicity she failed to understand. I sat on the front steps with them while they waited for their car. It was dark here in front. Only the bright door sent ten square feet of light volleying out into the soft black morning. Sometimes a shadow moved against a dressing room blind above, gave way to another shadow, an indefinite procession of shadows, who rouged and powdered in an invisible glass. Who is this Gadsby, anyhow? demanded Tom suddenly. Some big bootlegger? Where'd you hear that? I inquired. I didn't hear it. I imagined it. A lot of these newly rich people are just bootleggers, you know. Not Gatsby, I said shortly. He was silent for a moment. The pebbles of the drive crunched under his feet. Well, he certainly must have strained himself to get this menagerie together. A breeze stirred the gray haze of Daisy's fur collar. At least they are more interesting than the people we know, she said with an effort. You didn't look so interested. Well, I was. Tom laughed and turned to me. Did you notice Daisy's face when that girl asked her to put her under a cold shower? <laughs> Daisy began to sing with the music in a husky, rhythmic whisper bringing out a meaning in each word that it had never had before, and would never have again. When the melody rose, her voice broke up sweetly, following it, in a way contralto voices have, and each change tipped out a little of a warm human magic upon the air. Lots of people come who haven't been invited, she said suddenly. That girl hadn't been invited, they simply force their way in, and he's too polite to object. I'd like to know who he is and what he does, insisted Tom, and I think I'll make a point of finding out. I can tell you right now, she answered. He owns some drugstores, a lot of drugstores. He built them up himself. The dilatory limousine came rolling up the drive. Good night, Nick, said Daisy. Her glance left me and sought the lighted top of the steps, where, three o'clock in the morning, a neat, sad little waltz of that year, was drifting out the open door. After all, in the very casualness of Gatsby's party, there were romantic possibilities totally absent from her world. What was it up there in the song that seemed to be calling her back inside? What would happen now in the dim, incalculable hours? Perhaps some unbelievable guests would arrive, 
A person infinitely rare and to be marveled at, some authentically radiant young girl, who with one fresh glance at Gadsby, one moment of magical encounter, would blot out those five years of unwavering devotion. I stayed late that night. Gadsby asked me to wait until he was free, and I lingered in the garden until the inevitable swimming party had run up, chilled and exalted from the black beach, until the lights were extinguished in the guest rooms overhead. When he came down the steps at last, the tanned skin was drawn unusually tight on his face, and his eyes were bright and tired. She didn't like it, he said immediately. Of course she did. She didn't like it, he insisted. She didn't have a good time. He was silent, and I guessed at his unutterable depression. I feel far away from her, he said. It's hard to make her understand. You mean about the dance? The dance? He dismissed all the dances he had given with a snap of his fingers. Old sports, the dance is unimportant. He wanted nothing less of Daisy than that she should go to Tom and say, I never loved you. After she had obliterated four years with that sentence, they could decide upon the more practical measures to be taken. One of them was that, after she was free, they were to go back to Louisville and be married from her house, just as if it were five years ago. And she doesn't understand, he said. She used to be able to understand. We'd sit for hours. He broke off and began to walk up and down a desolate path of fruit rinds and discarded favors and crushed flowers. I wouldn't ask too much of her, I ventured. You can't repeat the past. Can't repeat the past? He cried incredulously. Why, of course you can. He looked around him wildly, as if the past were lurking here in the shadow of his house, just out of reach of his hand. I'm going to fix everything just the way it was before, he said, nodding determinedly. She'll see. He talked a lot about the past, and I gathered that he wanted to recover something, some idea of himself, perhaps, that had gone into loving Daisy. His life had been confused and disordered since then, but if he could once return to a certain starting place and go over it all slowly, he could find out what that thing was. One autumn night, five years before, they had been walking down the street when the leaves were falling, and they came to a place where there were no trees, and the sidewalk was white with moonlight. They stopped here and turned toward each other, now, it was a cool night with that mysterious excitement in it, which comes at the two changes of the year. The quiet lights in the houses were humming out into the darkness, and there was a stir and bustle among the stars. Out of the corner of his eye, Gadsby saw that the blocks of the sidewalks really formed a ladder and mounted to a secret place above the trees. He could climb to it, if he climbed alone, and once there he could suck on the pap of life, gulp down the incomparable milk of wonder. His heart beat faster as Daisy's white face came up to his own. He knew 
that when he kissed this girl and forever wed his unutterable visions to a perishable breath, his mind would never romp again like the mind of God. So he waited, listening for a moment longer to the tuning fork that had been struck upon a star. Then he kissed her. At his lips' touch, she blossomed for him like a flower, and the incarnation was complete. Through all he said, even through his appalling sentimentality, I was reminded of something, an elusive rhythm, a fragment of lost words that I had heard somewhere a long time ago. For a moment, a phrase tried to take shape in my mouth, and my lips parted like a dumb man's, as though there was more struggling upon them than a wisp of startled air. But they made no sound, and what I had almost remembered was uncommunicable forever. End of Chapter 6, Part 2 of The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. I found this whole exchange at this party fascinating because Tom and Daisy are going to this party under completely different auspices. Tom is just going there to just try to fit in and figure out what the heck he's doing at a West Egg party. He should be an East Egg after all, thank you very much, you know, type of thing. And Daisy is going under the auspice of, do I really buy into Gatsby's lifestyle? Would I truly be happy and comfortable here? And we're left with her kind of still leaving that question up in the air. She doesn't quite really know what she wants to do with the whole thing. Because there's one half of her who looks at this scene between a director and his star. And they're kind of like looking longingly into each other's eyes. Just staring back and forth and falling into love through a very simple exchange of emotion and Daisy's like man can a romantic encounter really be that simple I married Tom because I'm a materialist and I wanted his money the way that that man is looking at that woman is something that I've never experienced before and it is disgusting to me Meanwhile, Tom's over here, you know, like, hey, this guy's making, is saying some really funny stuff. Uh, I think I'll just, you know, listen to him. And then he goes on like a half-hearted investigation of Gatsby himself. And it's like, hmm, this guy's giving me bootlegger vibes. I don't know about you, but there's no way a guy like this could land into so much money and not be doing bootlegging off to the side. You know, seems a little sus. And, well, honestly, that is what Gatsby is doing. Nick is in denial of this statement, which is all the more hilarious. And then, um, yeah, Tom's just there to just have a good time. Daisy's a little bit more stressed out, but maintains 
a very jovial composure throughout it all. Because, after all, she's been reunited with her teenage sweetheart. And so she's just like, what could be better? I'm just going to try to soak in as much of West Egg culture as I can and then just enjoy the time that I'm able to spend with my boyfriend for however long of a time it actually is. And you see her kind of, like, make a false start as she's leaving. For Nick notices as she says goodbye to him, and as she and Tom are leaving the party, she kind of glances back into the the fray of the party and Nick makes an observation which I don't know how he has this kind of insight but he makes the observation that she's looking back in there jealously really hoping that there isn't some other girl that is trying to win Gatsby's affections and their entire past five year relationship will fall apart to pieces over that one chance encounter. And so it's clear that Daisy still has strong romantic feelings for Gadsby. But he walks away from the whole encounter at the end and is like, I don't think she liked this party. This was a bad idea. Like, I'm, I don't think she understands what I'm trying to do. And Nick's like, no, 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 no. I think she understands what you're trying to do. I just don't think she's still completely sold in on it yet. And huh, it's it's just one of those weird things where it's all up to Daisy at this point, really, about the status of Gatsby and Daisy's relationship. Because Gatsby is going after her with everything he's got. And to be honest, it's really quite bold when he's around Tom, which is kind of surprising to me. You'd think he'd try to subvert his affections just a little bit, but then again, Tom is so thick that he doesn't even realize that Gatsby and Daisy are in anything at this point. And so he's just kind of like, okay, whatever, cool. And he's pretty secure in his relationship, which says a lot about this man, but he is yeah just kind of oblivious it seems like to the whole the whole subtext of what Gatsby's trying to communicate to him and how Daisy is interacting with Gatsby herself so I don't know if he's connected the dots yet we haven't really seen that portion but uh, that's kind of where we're at in this story and it's kind of a little bit of a chaotic love triangle mess right now with Tom still loves Daisy Gatsby adores Daisy Daisy tentatively adores Gatsby but not his lifestyle and so we're just kind of just sitting in a glob of who loves who like I'm pretty sure Daisy and Tom are not on the same same wavelength in their relationship. And so we just got kind of this, yeah, this amorphous mess before us. 
and uh, it's it's a lot of fun to wade through. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. Next week, we will continue through the casebook of Sherlock Holmes with the second half of the adventure of the illustrious client. But as they say in show business, for now, that's all he wrote. <laughs>